Hello, welcome to yet another special edition of Death by Video. It's part four in our Rocktober, our month of watching spooky movies. Ooh, I'm Phil. I'm Kit. I'm Graham saying welcome back to another fun episode of Merry Movie Mayhem. So uh, I'm going to start off this episode because I realize I probably watched more than you guys have, and so I don't want the... And Mr. Fancy, Mr. Ooh, I've watched more movies than you guys have, probably. All well, right. Well, I've, I've I've caught up to my. I'm actually at 28 movies for today, so I've caught up significantly. Um, so we pick it up from. How oh, many movies? Uh, let me count one, two, just and this is just gonna be horror movies, not other movies I watched. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So yeah, all caught up. All right, so I'm going to start off with the film that I watched immediately after we recorded the last episode, The Cleansing Hour. So this film uh, is interesting because it's about, it's about exorcisms, and basically it's about uh, these two guys who run a, a, a live web show called The Cleansing Hour where they basically perform an exorcism every, every week or every episode. And there's a guy who claims to be an actual priest who, but he left the Catholic Church to, to go independent, and they, they sell clear, uh, prayer towels and holy water that are legit from the Vatican. But it uh, turns out it's all a great big sham, and the guy's not really an exorcist, and the people are actors. And so on one, uh, one show they do, the, the actress that's going to play their, uh, their possessed person can't show up, so another guy's girlfriend has to fill in. And turns out she's possessed by a real demon, or is it actually something much, much worse? Um, yeah, worse than a demon? Worse than a demon. Old Scratch himself. Old Devil. Scratch? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so that's a mild spoiler alert, but it's, it's really well told. At first, I was kind of like, oh, I don't care about this movie whatsoever, because uh, the characters are so mean. But then as, as when the plot kicked in, when, when the movie kicked into its main like story i was i was with it all the way it was it was really good i enjoyed it uh and it ends very depressingly so so there's that um phil what have you seen since we last recorded i watched on shutter uh, fade to black which i mostly enjoyed yeah nice i love that movie fade to black it's yeah it's an early 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 appearance by mickey rourke Yes, yeah, very young Mickey Rourke. Like this is maybe like a year before Body Heat. That was, I think, when people really caught on to uh, Mickey Rourke. But it's still a notable uh, supporting performance by Mickey Rourke, and uh, there are lots of jokes on Letterboxd that basically the protagonist is basically every user on other user on Letterboxd, and hmm. it's not untrue. <laughs> and yeah, well, and that's the interesting thing. The film came out before home video really took off, so he. For someone to be that knowledgeable of a film, they would have probably had to live in a in a rep house and oh, yeah. read nothing but like <laughs> magazines about cinema. Um, I really enjoy the film. Kit, have you ever seen or heard of Fade to Black? Uh, I have not. Mm-hmm. It's there was a DVD released by Anchor Bay in the early two thousands, which I think might have <laughs> only been in Canada because I remember for a long time it was considered trapped on VHS in the states. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I dig that film quite a bit. I like the fact that it's a character who. Kind of goes psychotic. Also, our man Tim Thomerson is in it. Oh, yeah, okay. with a mustache. I know. I think that might have been his first film role, if, oh, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I can see that, yeah. Because he was doing theater beforehand. But, 
Yeah, super fun film. Or not not fun, but uh, I enjoyed it. How it's, is it's, the, it's, it's, it's totally fun. <laughs> yeah. How is the uh, how how does it look on Shutter? Because the DVD that I saw the original DVD and it was you know it's a DVD from twenty years ago, so it doesn't look fantastic. Is it remastered in HD or is it a little washed out? It looks okay. It, yeah. It's totally acceptable. Oh, cool. Oh, that's good. Oh, there's Sigourney Kit's cat. Oh, the little furball herself. She just knocked over the recycling bin, so I thought I'd pick her up Aww. and uh, bring she's her in here. Fourth, she's the fifth beetle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Kit, what have you seen uh, following up on Phil's discussion of Fade to Black? Well, you got you got uh, eight movies. I only got four. So, Ooh. sorry for slacking. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Well, let's go in order here. Um, so, yeah, we were uh, looking for things to watch on Netflix, which is... Uh, tough for horror, man. I don't know. Uh, either I've seen it or they've just got nothing really good for Halloween. They like threw all the scary movies on there, but nobody wants to watch those. No. They're incredibly dated. Like you wouldn't get half the references now. Well, especially, um, and I think it was in Scary Movie 2 where they had a parody of a Nike commercial that like no yes. one will remember today at all. Yeah, insane. Um, so I uh, checked out a website that had like, oh, the best, you know, Netflix horror that you've never heard of and went through the list and just settled on um, another found footage movie, Creep. Yep. Yes. Yep. With uh, I've never starring seen class. I know, Phil, you're a fan. I am a fan. I also liked Creep 2. I hear Creep 2 is just as good. Yeah. Uh, I liked Creep. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to just read out my star rating. So even if I'm cool. critical, you kind of know where I'm at with it. Uh, you know, good three star movie, solid. Um, kind of, uh, heavy on the jump scares, you know, mm-hmm. um, like even to the point of like parody almost, cause he keeps yeah. on doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He even jump scares himself at one point. Mm. <laughs> um, but it was, it's an interesting twist. They could keep that series going for a while, obviously, because you see he has a closet full of tapes of, uh, of past friends that he's uh, gotten really close with. Um, but sometimes it almost seems like a student film, like when the other guy has to do improv, when it's not Mark Duplass doing it, uh, it can get kind of a, a student filmish kind of feel to it. Like uh, just meandering improv stories that don't really serve any purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I liked it. Uh, if you're looking for something on uh, Netflix to watch, uh, Creep and probably Creep 2, which I haven't seen yet, uh, are good options. Graham? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Mark Duplass is a master of improv for film. Mm. Like he, you know, him and his brother with their very first film, The Puffy Chair, which I saw in a theater in Toronto in 2006. Like they, they kind of like have figured out the the magic of how to improv, like where you still get across the story of the film, but you're also, you know, trying like filling in a character and not just rambling inanely. Um, yeah. I also think they had the, like the largest budgeted improv film ever when they did, uh, Cyrus with the Marissa Tomei and uh, Jonah Hill and the other guy from Step Brothers. It's not Will Ferrell, whose name is escaping me right now. John C. Riley. John C. Riley. That's right. Yeah. The other guy from Step Brothers. <laughs> the John C. Riley thespian, who's been in countless uh, really good. I was going to say Dewey Cox. Uh, <laughs> Dewey Cox is a great film, by the way. It is. It should have underrated comedy. Music autobiography. They say, yeah. Like at my my favorite review of Bohemian Rhapsody was. It's like Dewey Cox without the jokes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so you recommend Creep and Creep 2, or Creep at least? Well, I haven't seen Creep 2. Maybe it's awful, uh, despite what uh, Phil has to say. But uh, no, I liked Creep. Uh, if you're looking for something to watch on Netflix and uh, their selection is kind of shit, 
Um, yeah. Could do worse than Creep. It's only 77 minutes, which is another bonus. Plus, uh, Peach Fuzz gets his own song at the end, which, man, you got to love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Netflix has, their uh, their library has gone to crap lately. But, Phil, you saw Creep too. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, no, they, uh, it's, it's it's a woman uh, this time, and there's a that be creepier. Mark Duplass and uh, creepy. That, uh, that ups the creepy. Yes, yeah, yeah. So he he, managed, he does manage to take it to the next level. And, yeah. uh, cool. There, there there is like a neat uh, tête-à-tête dynamic that like they it doesn't feel like a rehash of the first creep. And oh, good. And it's as from what I recall, it's I think it's roughly the same length as well. Does, does Peach Fuzz make an appearance? Peach Fuzz. Who's Peach Fuzz again? Peach Fuzz is the um, so the Mark Duplass character reveals he has a um, a wolf's uh, a wolf's head, sort of like a, a novelty wolf's head that looks kind of scary, <laughs> and, and he wears it, and he's like, "Oh, this is Peach Fuzz," and he does a whole Peach Fuzz dance, and it's like he's getting into his fursona, you you think for a little bit, but uh, uh, no, it just turns out it's like his his killing mask, I guess, and then there's like an acoustic ballad to Peach Fuzz that plays over the credits, which I really dug. Um, I'm yeah. fairly sure it is. It's been like over, it's been like at least three years since I've seen Creep 2. Peach Fuzz has to make an appearance. He was clearly oh, yeah, the I'm quite certain of it. Cool. All right, so moving on to what I saw next. Uh, next up, I watched the movie Haunt from 2019. So this is one of four movies that I watched that were set in a haunted house. Uh, like a like a Halloween style haunted house. Um, uh, it's interesting because it's written and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who were the screenwriters who did, wrote uh, what's the, the A Quiet Place, the uh, the horror movie directed by Jim from The Office. And uh, <laughs> Jim. they basically took all of their goodwill from from that film and poured it into this film Haunt, which was their I guess like not a, a passion project of theirs. I didn't watch it when it came out last year because it's been on Shutter for a long time because. I read the dreaded words executive produced by Eli Roth. Um, (laughs) But the interesting thing is watching this film now, it's like he clearly had nothing to do with it. There's no bro frat humor or that. It's just kids that decide like, Hey, like Halloween, it's Halloween. We should do something. Let's get out of this bar. Let's go, let's go check out one of these haunted house, these haunts as they call them now, uh, where you basically just walk through a house and get terrorized by clowns. And uh, it turns out that uh, this, this haunted house is nefarious. And uh, you don't really know why, but it's, it's really chilling and had some good scares. And I like the characters. Like the characters, even the ones that are set up to be like the obnoxious friend, they're, they're played more real and they're not really obnoxious. So you can see why these people actually wanted to spend time together. Um, some pretty good fake outs. And apparently a lot of people complain that the ending is tacked on, but I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was a fine ending. Um, but yeah, I really recommend Haunt. Uh, it played as part of Joe Bob's Halloween Hideaway, uh, which is good to see Joe Bob Briggs up and around. Uh, he was suffering. He actually contracted coronavirus early on into the oh, pandemic. I didn't hear about that. Uh, and he is in the, the danger zone. He's in his 60s. Uh, and you could see that he's lost a lot of weight, and he clearly went through a rough time with it, but he's on the mend now, and he's healthy, so that's good. Um, and yeah, uh cheers, cheers, to, cheers to joe bob briggs yes yeah cheers to joe bob briggs uh let's hope he continues to survive the coronavirus <laughs> bears up etc yeah um all right phil what did you watch next 
I watched uh, 1996's uh, most notorious debacle, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau, finally. Wow, what an experience. (laughs) Is that Marlon Brando's last feature-length film, or no? I think his second or third. It was was at least a few years before the score. Yeah, I was going to bring up the score. The score, yeah. Yes, yes. and you know what? Like at some point, like Val Kilmer's just trying to out weird Marlon Brando. <laughs> and I was reading the Wikipedia page for the Island of Doctor Moreau, and as I suspected, uh, min- the inspiration for Mini Me, uh, Mike Myers did was influenced by the Island of Doctor Moreau. Yeah, yeah. No, that film had such a troubled production because I mean, Richard Stanley got fired. Yes. Uh, he was hired to direct it. And then he just sort of, st- he just hung around and dropped LSD and like, yes. and like, <laughs> you've seen the documentary, it. right? I haven't seen it, but I've heard. And like, he, yeah. he even apparently is in a couple shots in the background because he's mm-hmm. like, yeah. disguised in costume. And didn't he also like perform a hex on the production to like make sure that it failed? That's what I've heard. Yeah. Mission it was going to fail regardless. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that was the Island of Dr. Moreau, the uh, the uh, 1995 or yeah, 96. Also, what's interesting about it is that, like there are all these elements. Like it, you, you can see, like the production design is phenomenal, and that was largely from Richard Stanley's work. Oh, yeah. And you know, like it is, you know, very professionally made. But you know, you see the uh, the movie unravel in almost it feels like in real time you know like the first 20 minutes it's just kind of like a normie sci-fi yeah. horror movie and then you know you see the hybrids and you know mm-hmm. the whole thing just unravels and just continues to just mm-hmm. they it feels like they're making they were just making it up as they were going along and they literally were making it up as they were yeah. going along nice and a lot of it was just like martin martin brando's ideas and it's like his wacky hats including the notorious the I don't, I don't know if it's notorious but i'm sure it's an image hard to forget his ice bucket hat mm-hmm. oh yeah that movie is is full of all kinds of crap i also remember hearing the story <laughs> of of timothy hutton he's the he's the male lead right timothy hutton no david Fulis, oh, who right. was the last minute replacement for rob morrow of indecent exposure right who Hold begged her. to be let go yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like yeah no like he called the executives crying from like like please get me out of here. Yeah. i can't yeah. be in this movie yeah mm-hmm. and that's what happened dave Thewlis has maybe like third or fourth billing even though he is the protagonist of the movie yeah i know well val kilmer's head was huge at that time because he was coming off of heat and batman forever well, yes and uh, you know like, batman at the time yeah yeah, even yeah, yeah. has this Joel Schumacher, and like Joel Schumacher's like a director who got along with everybody, but you know, like Val yeah. Kilmer really tested his uh goodwill, yeah. yeah. Well, All right, your- and Val Kilmer was going through a divorce at that time as well, and always oh, great, yeah. yeah he, has a, he has a biography of now called I Am Your Huckleberry, I believe, yes, yes. He, he I guess he seems to have mellowed out over time, but mm-hmm. uh. Anybody ever see the original uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, Isn't by the way? No. Lost Souls? I don't know. And it's a Val Luton production, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Huh. 
I believe that sounds about right. It sounds yeah. like the title of Val Luton movie. Yeah, 1932. Uh, directed by Eric Ari C. Canton. Um, all right, so Kit, what have you seen next in your, in your horror viewing? Oh, I finally uh, crossed one off the old uh, blind spot list or whatever you want to call that and I uh, got around to 1985's The Return of the Living Dead. Mm. Yes. One of my personal favorites. I, I was pleasantly surprised. Well, not necessarily surprised because I'd heard it was kind of good. Like, I, I think from a few people, not just from you guys, from mm-hmm. a few corners. Um, but man, it's just a lot of fun. It's just a consistently uh, fun, good time. Uh, all the characters are great all everything's like slightly iconic in that film in a way like uh even um i don't know like the 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 letterman jacket that says fuck you on the back and um <laughs> the tar man and and just uh all the all the good shit man it's uh it's if i think if any uh horror movie could be adapted successfully into a like a tony winning uh, uh musical comedy horror thing uh, it, it could be Return of the Living Dead because it's got a lot of jams too. Yeah, that soundtrack is killer. You've got uh, The Damned, you've got uh, The Cramps and 45 Grave. Oh my God, 45 Grave, yeah, with It's Party Time and The Cramps with, uh, uh, oh my God, Surfing Dead. Yeah. Um, such a good, great soundtrack. I've got it on vinyl and an original pressing even from the 1980s. Oh, nice. Uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, guest, former guest of the podcast, Vanessa Young, gave that to me as a birthday present several years ago. Um, yeah, I love Return of the Living Dead. I embrace it wholeheartedly. Um, it's got like so many titans of horror in one movie as well. Acting wise, you've got Linnea Quigley playing trash. She's the, uh, the naked punk. Uh, you've got Jewel Shepard in there as well, who's from a lot of uh, horror films from the time. You also have uh, Clue Gulliger, who is uh, uh, he was most recently in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's kind of been a, uh, from the 90s onwards, he's kind of been a steward of young independent filmmakers in Los Angeles. Um, you also have Tom Matthews in it, who is also, goes, also goes on to star in, uh, well, he was in a bunch of our friend Albert Pune's movies. He was in Dangerously Close uh, and several of his other films, including um, uh, Not Crazy Six. No, he wasn't Crazy Six. What am I yeah, saying? Yeah, he was. He was oh, totally Crazy Six. Um, and he was also in, uh, why am I, oh my God, the one with Ice-T that we watched. Um, oh, the, the, the gun movie. Mean Guns, Mean Guns. Mean guns yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was in guns, Mean yeah. Guns. Uh, and yeah, so he was in Friday the 13th Part 6. He's in all of those films. And he also came back for Return of the Living Dead 2 as a different character, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, you would have to be. Yeah. I, was, uh, I asked you about those off, off, uh, off pod. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the sequels? I don't know how many there are. There seems to be at least five. Yeah, Return of the Living Dead 2, I, I watched it once. It's not very good. They I remember the poster, to... though, from my youth, man. That, that floating, like, yeah. cloud of... Yes, the this iconic video VHS art, for sure. Yeah, no, it's a dynamite poster, but that's probably the best thing about it. I mean, there's a, a Michael Jackson gag in it. One of the zombies looks like Michael Jackson from Thriller, and they all get electrocuted, so they kind of, like, do their head thing. Um it's they they try to make it almost for kids they had like childhood characters basically the the story is the government is transporting more of those barrels with the zombies from from quote unquote the real incidents that inspired night of the living dead and and it drops out of the out of the back of a truck and into a lake and zombies hello um (laughs) part 
Three is interesting. It's uh, directed by Brian Usna, from, who did Bride of Reanimator Society and um, uh, Necronomicon. And I think he also did the subspecies films. But, uh, and it's, it's more of a standalone. I think in, in the rest of the world, it's known as uh, uh, All-American or um, Ashes to Ashes. Uh, oh. and it's, it's more serious. Like, it's not jokey. Uh, and it's basically about a guy whose father works for the same government that has that trioxin thing that brings corpses back to life. And his girlfriend accidentally dies in a motorcycle accident and he uses it to bring her back to life, but she has to consume brains. And unfortunately things spiral out of control. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I recommend that movie. I think it's, it's, uh, Return of the Dead 3 is okay. I've never seen uh, 4 and 5, which I think is Necropolis and Rave to the Grave. Uh, I just know they were shot in Chernobyl. Um, oh, probably a good idea. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, like early 2000s, I think they like shot them there. They were like what, the wave of early 2000s Eastern Europe films that were shot. A hunt for real zombies. They were trying to save yes. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the first one's great. Third one's good. Uh, the rest of the sequels, I don't like. The second one, not worth it. I know Shout Factory or Scream Factory, they did remasters of uh, the first two. And then Vestron Video, the relaunched Lionsgate run Vestron Video, did a remastering of part three. So uh, so they're all available in high definition Blu-ray. The only down point is with the, the first film in the uh, Scream Factory uh, remat, like special edition, uh, the rights to the song by the damned that are in it uh, has expired. So they actually uh-huh. couldn't include the song. They had to like dub in another song over it. And it's one of those weird things where uh, I can't remember which album it was from, but basically like the damned were like, we don't care. Like we want our song in that movie. Yeah, sure. But it's a record label thing where it's like, I of think course. that, I think that, that album is owned by like Sony BMG. Mm. Which is like if if it's BMG or it's Warner Brothers that owns the songs. I've learned this from my recent horror short. You will never ever ever get the rights to it unless you just throw money at them, um, which is unfortunate. But uh, but yeah, Return of the Living Dead, solid film. Uh, moving on to what I saw next, back to the old letter box. Well, I'll tell you quickly. Uh, we're not going to discuss it because it'll be a future episode. But uh, the second half of Joe Bob Briggs's Halloween Hideaway was Hack O' Lantern. Uh, infamous for my uh, my my private movie nights. Uh, it's the story of a of a quote unquote teenager uh, discovering his inner Satanist. Uh, moving on yeah. off of that, I mean, I also saw the Borat sequel, which is quite good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Moving that. on, I took a trip back to the haunted houses with Hell House LLC, which uh, was from 2015. This movie is great. Like it's found footage. It's scary as heck. Um, and it just shows that, like, you take an, uh, a location that's already creepy, like this old abandoned hotel, and then you turn it into a haunted house where you, like, build in fake walls and stuff to guide people like it's in a maze. And it's terrifying. It basically is a found footage movie looking back on the events that led up to the, the opening night of Hell House, which is a, a private company that's run by a bunch of people from New York who tend to do, like, basically, like, they make their money. They spend all year planning to do a haunted house, and they make it all in October. They've been running the haunted house out of New York City. So the last one was in Queens or in Brooklyn and it didn't work well. So they'd gone upstate to this abandoned hotel to turn into a haunt. But, and one person is documenting the whole thing for their, whatever, for their website. And things start to go bad quickly. What? Um, yeah, yeah. Spookiness occurs. Some no. of the props they have are possessed. It turns out that the owner of the hotel was running a little cult of some kind. And they did suicide 30 years ago. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's creepy as hell. I really liked it. Um, I highly recommend it. I'm not going to say anything else, so don't I don't want to spoil it. And also, I'll be discussing Haunt or uh, Hell House LLC parts two and three very shortly because I watched all three in one night and scared the crap out of myself. <laughs> all right, Phil, what have you seen next? Uh, or movie night, uh, Night of the Demons. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, that, that this movie had really good setup, did not care much for the payoff. Honestly. Yeah, I, I kind of knew it wasn't going to be a film movie. Uh, that yeah. film also brought back Linnea Quigley. Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, I like the film, I, I like uh, Night of the Demons quite a bit. It's a funny, campy movie. Uh, it's got a really great soundtrack. There's yeah. lots of great uh, 80s uh, movie dialogue as well. Yeah. Uh, and really bizarre side characters like the little brother. Yes, and, the pervy little, love the pervy little brother. Yeah. And the uh, the old man who literally is like, yes. kid. he holds an <laughs> apple in one hand and a razor blade in the other. He's like, Not tonight I'll get my revenge. And you're like, oh, God. Uh, but it. Uh, Great final scene, though. Love that final scene. It just comes back full circle, those razor blade apples. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, if you think too hard about it, it won't make sense. No. But, um, Kit, have you ever seen Night of the Demons? Uh, no, I have not. That's another movie that has had a couple sequels. They came out in the 90s. Like, they came out, like, in 92 and 94. And the only person that came back was the, the actress who played Angela in the first film, because she was the one that hosted the party. And then they did a remake in 2009 uh, starring Shannon, I think Elizabeth is her name. She's the one from American Pie. Yes. Yeah. And she played Angela, which is weird because like, okay, you're playing a high school girl and it's been 10 years since you played a high school girl and you were already 26 at the time. So I never saw it, but uh, it didn't set the world on fire, obviously, like the first one did. Uh, But I'm a big fan of it. Um, Kit, what's your next film? Oh, well, my next film uh, also involves you, Graham. Oh, are we talking about... Yes, because we had a little screening. Um, We watched 1985's... Is it 85? I think it's 85. It's 84, actually. Because they were were rushed... Sorry, they were rushed... I actually did some research into it. Yeah, we're talking about Ghoulies. Ghoulies! What do you got to say about it, Kit? Uh, I mean, it's not great, to be (laughs) honest with you. No, it's not at all. Here's an interesting thing about Ghoulies is uh, it has a very young Mariska Hargitay in it. Oh, yeah. And and we were, like, trying to pick her out, like, oh, is that her? And then as soon as she comes on screen, it's like, oh, there she is. Yeah. Uh, got a very uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, definite look, even uh, even all those years ago. But, man, she, she used to be a beauty queen. I mean, she's still uh, great-looking these days, but... Uh, yeah, it, uh, she was 20 at the time. Uh, it was actually her first film as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, who knows how she got into film business? Somebody maybe uh, she must have had, uh, you know, somebody speaking up for her, you know, getting her, <laughs> getting her a role. <laughs> yes, Bill. She's Jane Mansfield's daughter, Kit. <laughs> we know, we know. She okay. was also Miss Teen USA, I think, before, yes. before then. But uh, the interesting thing about, yeah, Ghoulie sucks. I mean, the the the, old, the way that that movie made any money whatsoever is the poster of the ghoulie coming out of the toilet. Which they clearly conceived of after they made the movie, because there's no friggin' ghoulies coming out of toilets in this film. What? 
There is it's a like little bamboozle. Had one in post production. So yeah. You just see a second of a ghoulie coming out of the toilet. Uh, well, from um, whatever what I recall, uh, Charles Band shot the the commercial with the ghoulie popping out of the toilet, and they, he just shot that as like an extra thing to add. Mm-hmm. And then he just inserted it into the film because it's just a random shot. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't even shot in 35. It was like 16 millimeter. It's a square image. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the ghoulie popping out. And then, and and it also like, they were racing to get it in theaters. I think just when Gremlins was coming out, but it came out afterwards. Gremlins is the superior film by any well, stretch of the imagination. Well, they yeah, can't get the ghoulies to do anything except like drool and snarl. They just pop up and like, Meh. And the ghoulies aren't even, they don't, well, they don't do anything. The main antagonist is some old Satanist with green eyes. And then the, uh, the two, uh, like other dimensional people. Yeah. That they bring in because probably the ghoulies to do anything satisfying. Mm -hmm. So they had to bring in some actors. Yeah. I do appreciate that. They did the old two, two midgets standing on each other's shoulders in a trench coat gag. (laughs) <laughs> to to murder somebody. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. It's got like almost a great setup. Like a uh, guy uh, guy gets a house that used to be uh, belong to a Satan worshiper, inherits it, uh, has some friends over uh, to party, uh, like uh, let's celebrate my new house. Um, and then uh, gets really in, he's found some satanic robes and some uh, incantation books. And he's like, hey, here's, here's what'll be fun. Let's do this. Nobody's into it except him. He even shushes yeah. and gets angry at people for talking. Um, and he starts trying to to raise some demons and uh, nothing happens. People get bored and mm-hmm. uh, they go back to the party. And I thought, oh, oh, cool. So for the rest of the party, uh, the ghoulies are going to start appearing and taking down the party guests one by one. That'll be, that'll be kind of a fun setup. But that is not what happens. No. The next day. Um, and it's just him slowly getting into this um, demon worship thing. Like he buys a fog machine, starts wearing the robes more and more, stops going to work. His wife gets worried. Most of the movie is this, which is not what you're looking for, really. Yeah, it's it's more of just a slow <laughs> domestic drama with like ten minutes of Satanism at the end. I mean, he does he he does get the ghoulies, and then nobody can see them but him or something like that, and they just sort of they just sort of pop up and growl and snarl and look gross. And they also kill off all of his friends, but then it doesn't matter at the end because all of his friends just are magically healed. Yeah. After the uh, but here's a here's a special um, special thing is Jack Nance is a uh, sort of like the Scatman Crothers role, sort of. But he's he effective. Likes- That's the thing, the difference. Yeah. <laughs> he is, hey, Scatman Crothers does provide the, uh, the escape. But um, yeah, he, he pops up. Uh, I clearly, he was probably doing Dune at the same time. And he was just like, yeah, you can get me for a day. Mm-hmm. Like they don't use Jack Nance that much, but uh, he does have that sort of silly scene with the, uh, the the chief Satanist at the end where they just lock arms and look at each other and then lightning bolts go from one to the other and it's like neat. Very yes, like right between right between uh, Dune and Blue Velvet. Uh, oh, Jack yeah. Jack managed to fit in ghoulies. Yeah. <laughs> and to squeeze in that, like, and it, clearly they only had him for a weekend because he's only in four scenes. He's in the first yeah, like, one. He's yeah. In a, he's briefly interacts with the main character when they come to the house for the first time. Then there's a shot of him in his like apartment. Up, yeah. And then he's in the showdown. And clearly it was like, okay, we'll shoot two the two scenes like where he's battling the Satanists, that's gonna be one day. And then the scene of him in his apartment and interacting with the other people, that's gonna be another day. But yeah, so that was Ghoulies. Uh yep. the most like two stars out of five. Uh, only giving it, it wasn't horrible. 
It was quite bad. Worse, but it wasn't good. And chiefly because there are no ghoulies coming out of toilets. And that's a good gimmick. I wonder if Ghoulies 2 contains more. Uh, and the toilets. Ghoulies aren't fun. Like, they don't really do anything mischievous or funny. They're just there. By the time we get to Ghoulies 3, apparently they're off to college. It's Ghoulies Go to College. So I'm curious about that one. It might redeem the series. Who knows? Well, this was, this was also like when Critters came on the scene. So I think they had to step yeah. the game up a bit. Mm-hmm. I wonder, when did Critters come out? Let me look it up. Like, 86, I think. 86, 87, around there. And Leonardo DiCaprio in one of those. That was, like, the third one. Yeah, Critters Critters came out in 86, so that it's a post-Gremlins, post-Ghoulies world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ghoulies and Gremlins have already laid waste. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we left off with Ghoulies. Now moving on to uh, my next film, which was Hell House LLC Part 2, The Abaddon Hotel. So picking up um, years after the first one, even though it was shot like probably the next year, uh, it's basically people investigating what happened on that fateful day uh, back in 2009, according to the first movie, even though it was made in 2015. Um, and yeah, another solid follow-up. Not as good as the first one, but, uh, but still lots of scares. We actually, the, they do, they make the problem that a lot of people make, which is, hey, let's have our bad guy talk and explain everything. So they have the, the cult leader that started the hotel 30 years ago. He pops, pops up sort of and explains stuff. And you're like, oh, it is nice because there's a scene where like a, a early on the, the, quote, the alleged editor of the first movie is being interviewed beside uh, one of the, the people who's, um, who's on the local government of the town where the hotel is. And it's kind of shown that like the, the hotel since the first movie came out because the first movie is actually reported to be a found footage documentary. The second one, it's also everything is like kind of like found footage, but some of it is from a TV interview program. Some of it is from a vice style journalist program. Um, And, uh, and basically they, uh, or was it going basically like the, the first film like is a film in the world of the movie. So like the people like saw it and they call it hell house LLC and they're like, Oh, that documentary at the end of everything. Um, but the editor of it uh, gets convinced to go back to Hell House to find out what happened to his his lost crew members. Um, and things get nuts. But he's being interviewed on a TV news program next to one of the town council members from the town that the, the first film took place in. And a TV medium who uh, decides to go basically like tell, tells him, like, you need somebody who can properly communicate with the spirits to go in and deal with it. And like, you think, okay, it's going to be exposed that this guy is a fraud or a charade, but he's not like, he actually thinks of himself as a medium, but he's totally unprepared. And like, he kind of creates his own, he goes into the room where the owner of the hotel committed suicide along with his cult and um, starts to like try and summon him and like ask questions. And immediately like, there's like a little, it's kind of, it's not really like a Ouija board, but he has like a little divining tool that points between a, a Y or an N to say yes or no. And instantly, it's just sort of like um, they see something and they're just sort of like, okay, so that means that we have contact. And it's like, do you intend to hurt us? Yes. And they get killed off immediately. It's, it was great. It was just kind of like no messing around. That's also the problem. The, the kind of issue I had with the sequel was that the first one, the scares slowly, slowly crept in. And... So it built an anticipation, whereas in this one, it was like from scene one, oh, it's scary, it's spooky, um, which is a problem they corrected with the third film. Uh, Kid, have you seen uh, another horror film since uh, we last recorded? 
Okay, go go into your third film. I'll, I've got another film in the uh, in the can. I will yeah. say that um, we we asked Alexa um, if she could summon demons for us. You didn't you didn't set her off. Well, that's good. You're but trying. I wasn't. I wasn't. No, I wasn't really. Uh, we did ask Alexa if she could summon demons for us, and she said we need to get virtual blood. Which I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's slang for Bitcoin or something. But. Weird. Okay, so moving on to Hell House LLC Part 3, Lake of Fire. So basically this is now a year later after the events of Hell House LLC Part 2. And a wealthy man has, uh, basically he does, he produces live theatrical shows. And uh, so he has bought the Abaddon Hotel just before it was going to be torn down. And is transforming it into a live theater space. It's where he's going to be doing an adaptation of Faust. Um, called Insomnia. And we meet basically the host of the TV show that the editor was on, the replacement for the last host, the new host goes to cover the opening. And she's like, you know, I'm kind of weary about going inside. And they're like, you know, well, you know what? We've been here for three weeks and nothing's happened. And every now and then, like she sees something out of the corner of her eye and, and she's like, oh, am I seeing something? And the crew's like, no, you just have, um, you just, that's everyone thinks they see something, but they don't. And it turns out, oh, they're seeing something. It's just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then... Is it a ghoulie? No, it's not a ghoulie. It's uh, then the, the, the ghosts that have haunted the, the hotel spring into action on opening night yet again. And things go haywire. Another, and it's a great follow-up. Like, I like how basically it's just little, little tension building things, building, 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 building. And then literally the last 20 minutes of the movie is when all the scares come at you. And uh, it's good. I enjoyed it. I like seeing the characters. I like seeing the, the progression of the series. I watched all three in one night. I highly recommend them. They will scare you. Uh, you'll be, you know, you'll have to like watch something else before you go to bed. Um, yeah, so that's what I watched. Uh, and then Kit, you were saying, or sorry, Phil, have you seen any other spooky stuff? No spooky stuff, no. Mm. You, got Shutter? you should start watching Spooky Hats. surprise, yeah. <laughs> Kit, what's the, what's the next spooky thing you watched? So I, uh, oh, what happened? Nothing, go ahead. Okay. Um, I uh, f watched uh, a movie I've seen before, but I got a nice Blu-ray of it uh, from uh, our old pal Graham. Oh. As a, as a nice gift for, uh, for doing your movie. I suppose I should give it back to you since I, I wasn't able to do the last movie. That should be how it works. Ah, no. <laughs> uh, the Shining. Saw The Shining. Ah, oh, The Shining. Uh, yeah, the shinning, uh, and it was fun because uh, a coworker of mine um, and her roommate hadn't seen it, so we went over there and uh, uh, put it on. Um, nice. Watch the shining, and it was good. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a classic. What am I going to add to the shining discourse? Really, like, there's I'm sure a lot to talk about. Uh, maybe you guys have your own thoughts and opinions. Um, the the other coworker that joined us, she is adamant that the miniseries is better. And uh, I've told her she's crazy. No. Only no. Stephen King and her, only two people on earth that think that. Maybe Stephen Weber. Probably not even, though. I mean, No, he doesn't. He's been interviewed about it. He's like, it's not a person. <laughs> oh, it's bad. It's bad, folks. Um, it is much more faithful to the book. That's why, I guess, some people like it. Oh, there's a spooky ghost. Um, but it's uh, it's not good. They try to do like uh, in the movie, in the in the Kubrick movie, like in the book. There's the the, the topiary um, animals mm -hmm. come at, 
are a big deal in the book and they're not in the uh, Kubrick movie at all because they didn't have the effects for that shit. So they just do a maze instead. And that's, you know, it's good. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have the effects for that shit in the miniseries either, but they, they <laughs> try to do it. <laughs> they go for it. Yeah. I mean, did she, after watching the Kubrick version, did she still agree that the, the, the TV series? Oh, she, this, this coworker had seen both. So yes. Did I, she read the book first? Cause there, there are certain people I know who yeah. like, that's the thing. I think if you've read the book first and then you go see the Kubrick film, you're like, hey, what the hell? That wasn't what happened. I mean, yeah. some things are the same, but they're like twisted a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, even in like the book, like Jack Torrance, the, the character gets a little, little mini redemptive arc at the end, right? Like he's able to come to his senses, have a moment of clarity and say, Danny, get out of the house with your mother and remember I love you. And he mm -hmm. saves them. Uh, this is not the case in Kubrick's version, of course. Um, in fact, you're, you're quite convinced that Jack Nicholson was always just like one little twitch away from maybe murdering his family. You get the sense by the end of it. Maybe not. I'm sure they, uh, well, the thing is the, uh, Kubrick, uh, there's been like a bunch of old interviews come out with him and he's actually asked in one of them about the character of Jack Torrance and why it differs from the book. And because Kubrick could not wrap his head around Kubrick loved his family and was so sweet to them that he's like, I cannot understand how a man who could hurt his child could have a redemptive arc, could not just be like, could fall into madness and, and not, and come back from it. Well, I, Stephen King would answer, it's the ghost. It's the ghost. That, it's the yeah. evilness of the hotel that exploit uh, the badness in, in the human. But again, but, Jack Torrance broke Danny's arm before yes. they went to the hotel. I mean, in his defense, Danny had spread his work all over the floor and it was really annoying. Yeah, oh, <laughs> shit. Um, um, and another thing that I noticed this time around, though, is uh, uh, Wendy Torrance, played by Shelley Duvall, uh, all her outfits look uh, fantastic, good color coordination, plus they look like the snuggest outfits in the world. They look very cozy. Uh, we were all very impressed with uh, Wendy Torrance and her outfits. Yeah. Uh, on that note, I do have to say I really recommend Dr. Sleep, the Mike Flanagan-directed sequel to The Shining. Um, it's, it's really good, and... Uh, it's interesting how Mike Flanagan had to get Stephen King on board to let him adapt it. And then he convinced them somehow to be like, Hey, so you know all that stuff that Kubrick changed about your movie, your book, how about we just keep that and not, and like not try and like say that that didn't happen. Cause you know, in it, like the Overlook hotel is still standing. Whereas in the Stephen King novel, it got burned down in. And it's room, yeah. It's room two, three, seven in the, in Dr. Sleep. It's, it's not room. What was it? Two, one, seven in the. No, uh, seven. No, no, in, in the actual book, it's like 217. It's not 237. Oh, is it? I didn't... Oh, that's very possible. That's a weird thing to change. Well, um, I, have, I also have not seen the documentary Room 237. But, um, yeah, still still holds up. But, man, music, uh, music on that um, movie is solid. It's oh, yeah. For, uh, scary movie uh, music. Handeretsky. Is that right? Yeah. Like, when it creeps back in, in because um, it's 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 there a little bit at the start of of Doctor Sleep, but then at the uh, not to spoil the movie, but they wind up back at the at the ruins of the Overlook, and when that music kicks in, you're like, oh, it's spooky. Oh, mm -hmm. I I uh, saw Ready Player One uh, like a couple years ago. Yeah, um, you know, one of those things, um, and man. The music comes on and they go into the shining hotel. It's like, no, I don't want this. I don't want this to be bastardized and, and made into fun. And they do the whole blood elevator thing and all this yeah. shit. Ew. 
You exactly. Yeah. Well, the, the Doctor Sleep movie does a real good jo- like job of explaining why they would go back there. Um, okay, so my next one that I watched was David Cronenberg's The Brood, which is the first mm. one I've ever seen. It. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, like, uh, like David Cronenberg must have gone through a horrible divorce. Yeah, um, there are issues. <laughs> I mean, he even it totally admits, like, I cast actors that look like me and my wife. Um, and at the end of the movie, <laughs> the main character kills his wife because she's unleashing little tumor children that are psychos and kill people. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I love, I love it because I love 70s Canadian architecture for another yeah. reason. Like, anytime you walk into a room and it's wood paneling and thin carpet, you're, I'm like, oh, bring it to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Have you done the brew tour? No, I haven't. I should, though, because the, uh, the school isn't far from me. It's at, like, Avenue and St. Clair, right? Yeah, it's Brown School. That's where Vanessa went. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. And, and also Will. Oh, and Ermina, yeah. My gosh, all of our friends went there. Yeah. Um, and then the final film that I watched before we recorded was 1981's Kung Fu Zombie. Oh. Which uh, I got the Blu-ray of, although it's, I should point out, it's, I found out it's not an HD remaster. It's uh, from Golden Ninja Video, a local Toronto video line whose thing isn't, hey, we don't do remasterings. We just put them on Blu-ray and we load it with special features. And I do appreciate there's two other full movies on it. Uh, which I have yet to, I have not watched yet. Um, the fun thing, the funny thing about Kung Fu Zombie is I can never figure out what the official running time is supposed to be because the version that I watched was 78 minutes. On Letterboxd, it's 99 minutes. On Wikipedia, it's an hour and a half. So it's all over the place. And then the alternative version that's on, that's on the, the there's, there's two versions of the movie on the Blu-ray. And the second one is somehow even shorter than 78 minutes but it is a it's a fun movie there's not really a zombie in it but there kind of is there's an undead uh there's so there's two uh dead kung fu guys that come back to life to to fight basically there's a um let me just i'll just read you the synopsis on letterboxd and by the way and uh we'll just get into it a criminal comes to town in order to kill billy chong over a past dispute but instead of getting his own hands dirty, he hires a Taoist wizard to animate some zombies to, the, to do the job for him. The plan goes horribly awry, and the bad guy ends up getting killed in his own trap. This pisses off the villain's spirit, and he forces the priest to reincarnate him, only they can't find a suitable body. Meanwhile, an undead fiend of sorts comes to town to kill Billy's father over some other past dispute. This is where all of Billy's kung fu training comes in handy, and he manages to kill the attacker. With this, the other bad guy finally has a body to use, but the reincarnation goes wrong, and the corpse is reborn as a vampire. And then Billy's, so that's the end of the official synopsis, but then Billy's father dies, and the spirit of the crime boss that was trying to kill Billy gets into Billy's father's corpse and comes back to life, and then they have to have a showdown with the, the other, the weird vampire kung fu guy and the Billy's father's corpse inhabited by the spirit of the other guy. It's it's so wacky and fun. And the kung fu is really good. And it's it's yeah, like that's a future episode of DBV for sure. Excited. Sounds great. Yeah. Um all right, so that concludes our fourth and possibly final episode of Rocktober. Maybe we'll do a Rocktober roundup when the month officially ends. We still got I'm, I've, I've still got some spooky movies to watch. So Ooh. Um, 
so yeah, uh, we should have if the other epi- if our episode on what was the last episode we recorded? What was the last movie? Sleepaway Camp. Sleepaway Camp. If our episode is not up before this, it'll be up after it, and then we'll be doing an episode on Hellraiser. So we got lots of lots of more spooky stuff to come. It's probably going to stretch into November, so we might start. Well, it rock, should rock November. Rock November, yeah. November. <laughs> I think it should be a Halloween hangover. I think it should just kind of yeah. bleed into like the first couple of weeks of November. Why not? People leave their decorations up, like yeah, of course. People leave up Christmas decorations until Easter, so yeah. Exactly. You get twelve days of Christmas. I say twelve days of Halloween. Sounds good. Yeah, at the All very right. least, you know, we should, you know, have the Halloween decorations up until like American Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Like the second Thursday or third Thursday? I oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. I'm pretty sure, but we we should say before we go, because this will probably be go be going up before the American election next week. Uh best of luck to our friends down south of the border. Um, I'm not even gonna try to be impartial. Like Donald Trump can go to hell. So, uh, so if you guys uh, screw up and and vote him in, like it was, <laughs> it was nice knowing you. Um, uh, if you do the correct thing and vote in Joe Biden, hey, he's not the worst guy ever. So uh, <laughs> that's where the bar is now. Joe Biden, not the worst man ever to live. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope, just better than the other guys. All right, so for Death by Video. I've been Phil. I've been Kit. I've been Graham saying, please be sure to rewind. We will see you next time. Keep watching amazing movies. Good night.